We are doing this sermon series uh, out of the book of Ruth, and we're in Ruth chapter 4, which is actually the last chapter of the book, so we're wrapping up the sermon series today. Have you liked it? You like Ruth? Cool book. You know, uh, sometimes when uh, ministers are in their dark humors, uh, they will say something like, maybe you've heard this, uh, ministry would be great if not for the people. <laughs> Have you heard something like that? Come on. Is there a lot, a lot of people you've ministered in Ohana? No, definitely not. Not in our house. Not in our house. But there, there are lots of other ways in which we, we uh, you know, confess that idea in life. They, they used to, I haven't seen this for a while, but there was this cheesy plaque that was popular in a lot of offices. Uh, it said, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you work with turkeys. You remember that one? Man. Or simply, I love my job, just hate my coworkers. I've seen that one as well. Oh, that one touched close to home for a few people, didn't it? Yeah. Um, or occasionally I hear something like this, I love being a mom. It's the kids that are the problem. I'm sure there's a dad part of that as well. Um, and uh, all sorts of similar sayings that have to do with sex, but I'll just leave those aside right now. Um, lots, uh, lots of situations in life uh, that are inherently people experiences, ruined by people. You find that to be true? People are a struggle. Anybody want to admit it? All right, three honest people. Uh, we even see this in the kingdom of God. There are lots and lots of ministries, services, Christian services designed to serve the world or to serve the church uh, without having to be the church. You know, different ways that people engineer ministries uh, without having to deal with a community of people. You know, I'm all about serving people. I just don't want to deal with them. We, we see that a lot. And there are lots of lives designed in such a way that we get people experiences without having to commit to relationships. Lots of lives designed in that fashion. And as we have remarked before in this sermon series on the book of Ruth, there aren't a lot of things in today's society that encourage us to commit to other people. In fact, there are a lot of things in today's society that make it more convenient for us to do without people or to leave commitments uh, when, when it seems convenient. But to cut to the chase here, God has designed things in such a way that relationships are part of the deal. Relationships are part of life. It's a package deal. You want to live fruitfully, you're going to have to commit to relationships. You're going to have to really commit to people. It's part of the deal. Those of you who have hung around the kingdom of God for a while, do you find that to be true? People are part of the deal. Yay. Um, and in life, you can have love. Uh, you can have purpose. You can have partnership. You can experience the, the synergy of diversity and varied giftings. You can build 
lasting expressions of the kingdom of God in your life. You can build enduring fruitfulness in the world, legacies of fruitfulness in the world, but you will have to accept, embrace, and commit to people if you want to do that. That's the way that it is. You can't cut community out of the deal. You can't cut people out of the deal. That would leave you hollow, and there would be no goodness in it. Goodness has been the main theme of the book of Ruth, and mostly it's all tied up with committing to people, committing to relationships. So let's read our selection uh, for today from Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to read almost the entire chapter. It's a short one. Okay, so at the end of chapter 3, uh, there was a cliffhanger, right? Um, Ruth has basically offered herself in marriage to Boaz. Uh, and Boaz is, a, is sort of a distant relative of Ruth's mother-in-law. Uh, and so he's what you call a kinsman redeemer. As a relative, uh, he has the right, the obligation to, uh, to claim the wife of a dead relative uh, in order to, uh, you know, ensure uh, her care and progeny. Uh, and Boaz says to Ruth, all right, I realize that you've chosen me not because I'm an attractive man or a young, vibrant man, because I'm a good man, and you're a good woman. I'm into this. I will redeem you. I will marry you. But there is a relative closer than I am, and basically I have to check with him first. If he wants to redeem you and take you as a wife, we have to let him do it. So, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the, the guardian redeemer, this other guy, uh, he had mentioned, came along. Uh, the town gate is where all the guys gathered at a certain part of every day and talked story. Uh, and so he goes there until this guy comes along. Uh, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. And Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. So obviously he's, he's engineering a sort of conversation. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, this fellow, this closer relative, Naomi, the mother-in-law, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, her late husband. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So this was interesting. Uh, Naomi, formerly married to this fellow named Elimelech, uh, during a famine, Elimelech and Naomi, they move to Moab, have a couple of sons. Their sons marry Moabite women. All the men in the family die. Meanwhile, back, back in the land of Israel, Elimelech's old land, his former fields, are just lying fallow. Now, technically, Naomi sort of owns that, or more proper to say, Whoever Naomi hooks up with will own it, because that's kind of how land ownership worked in those days. So at first, Boaz presents the situation to this prospective guardian redeemer as a land deal. Hey, Naomi is back in town. She has some land. You know, she's willing to sell it, which really means if you marry her uh, 
or sort of take, take responsibility for her, Naomi would be too old for marriage, um, then you get the land. That's, that's sort of the deal. Um, and no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. So it sounds like, hey, do you want another field? Do you want another harvest space? Do you want more goodies in life? I will redeem it, he said. So the, the guardian redeemer is all about that. Then, <laughs> then Boaz said, um, by the way, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, the son's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So that, that's how it works, right? If you buy somebody's property, if you redeem as a relative uh, the property of, of one of your family members, then you essentially marry marriageable woman, women that come along with the field, and you provide children for that woman. It's the children that will take care of that woman and guarantee the survival of the name of the deceased husband. Everybody following me so far? That's how redemption worked. <clears throat> so look, if you want the field, you're gonna, along with it, you're gonna get Ruth the Moabite woman, and you're gonna have to marry her. At this, the guardian and redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Right, so what was going on there is that the guardian redeemer clearly already had a family, already had some sons, one or two or however many. And so he's like, yeah, man, I want a field. I want, I want more harvest. I want more prosperity. Yes, I will redeem that field. Oh, you know, I'll give Naomi some cash. I'll take care of her. It'll be good. What? I have to marry another young woman? Well, what if I sleep with her and she produces sons that might endanger the inheritance of my own sons. That's complicated. Plus, I don't know if my wife wants me bringing home another woman. I'm just throwing that in there. Being a married man, I think that might be an issue. Honey? You'll consider it. What if, what if the new wife did all the laundry? Thumbs up. All right, there we go. So you see, this could go either way, this negotiation. You redeem it. I, uh, I, I cannot do it. It's, it's too complicated for me. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. They had no barcodes on their iPhones, so they just passed the sandal. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malan, the, uh, the, the sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Very clever fellow. He constructs it as sort of a land deal that's too complicated. Uh, and then he says, all right, I will take the land. And I'll take this woman as well. Of course, all along his goal was to marry a Ruth. And so very clever the way he did this commercial dealing with this uh, other guardian redeemer. Boaz is a bit of an operator. And he, he got what he wanted. But he's a good man. 
and he got goodness in the end. So that's cool. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. So it's interesting. All of the elders know that in Boaz's mind, it's really about the girl. So they say, I bless that girl. You know, anybody would want a piece of land, Boaz. You're into taking responsibility for this woman. We bless that. That's good. That's what they speak to. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, uh, who together, the, they're mothers of Israel in the nation, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem, which is where they were, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We already talked about the story of Perez and Tamar and Judah. Uh, basically, those were grandparents of everyone who was talking that day. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, the grandma, the mother-in-law, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The grandma said, <laughs> I will take care of this boy. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, who we know became the grandfather of Christ himself. So pretty, pretty good marriage. We've talked about that. A very, very fruitful union. And this is how it, it went down. Here's the deal. This is the story. This is a picture of, of redemption. Uh, one of the great pictures of redemption that we have in Scripture. And uh, chapter 4 of the book of Ruth in particular is a picture of two different kinds of redeemers, of, of, of relative redeemers, kinsman redeemers or guardian redeemers. It's a translation of the Hebrew word goel, uh, which is a very rich word. Uh, <clears throat> so there is one redeemer who has rights, uh, to Naomi's Elimelech's old fields and has rights to Ruth uh, to marrying her. And the dude wants the fields. He wants the harvest. He wants the paola. But he does not want the relationship. The relationship is complicated. Got it? Did he have to marry Ruth and Naomi? No, he just had to marry Ruth. Uh, because Ruth was the only one who was young enough to bear children. Naomi wasn't. So at first, when he thinks it's just Naomi's field, he's not worried. No problem having another auntie around the homestead. But taking another wife and producing children with her are very complicated. So the first redeemer wants the, wants the goodies, wants the paola, does not want the relationship. The second redeemer, Boaz, wants the relationship. And so he gets the field. You see the difference? The first redeemer into the material, into the convenience, 
uh, the second redeemer, a people person, a good person. Which is, which is the gooder man? First redeemer, second redeemer. Obviously the second redeemer, why? There's just much more love and goodness in his behavior. He's into taking care of people. Um, so Boaz accepted the package deal. He didn't just take the goodies, he took responsibility for people. Yeah. Just like Ruth did for Naomi at the beginning of the story. Ruth did not have to stick with Naomi and travel with her back to the land of Israel and risk her life and risk starvation. Ruth didn't have to go gleaning in the fields in order to get enough field for enough food for her mother-in-law. But Ruth committed to the relationship just because Ruth was good. And all of the story unfolds as a result of that. Now, can you blame the first redeemer for, for not wanting to marry Ruth? I mean, not, not really, because as we've said often in the sermon series, life is complicated. Um, in spite of what my wife says here this morning, I'm pretty sure if I brought home wife number two, there might be some friction. Um, it's, it's a whole bunch of Chinese history about this, and so... First wife, second wife. I don't want to get into that. Um, so you can't, you can't really blame the guy. Uh, but you can really bless Boaz uh, for his attitude and, and what he did. This book is a portrait of what happens when people are good to one another. That's what the book of Ruth is about. Ruth was good to Naomi. Boaz was good to Ruth. Ruth offers herself in a good way to Boaz. Boaz figures out how to be good to Ruth and Naomi again. People are being good to each other. It's as simple as that. It's a picture of that. And what a beautiful picture it is. Isn't it just gorgeous the way this works out? I mean, you may not want to be Ruth. You may not want to be Boaz. But you root for them entirely because you recognize the goodness in their behavior. These are some good people. And you know what? When good people do good things, amazing fruitfulness happens. And that's the punchline of the book. Yeah, they have a... First of all, everybody gets taken care of when people are good to one another. Second of all, God sneaks blessing into lives when people are good to one another. You know, uh, they have a kid who ends up being able to take care of Naomi. Naomi, who has been bereft of all of, all of the men in her family, you know, gets to adopt this little boy. And it's just beautiful. It's just gorgeous. It's just heartwarming. And, and it just turns out that this family line ends up being the most important family line in the history of family lines. You know, it produces King David, eventually produces Christ. You know, the Lord has a way of working through lives when they are good lives. And the book of Ruth assures us of that. Boaz gets another field, but it's really sort of, that's a footnote to what's going on. Boaz gets to love more people, and those people love Boaz. That's the story, right? That's the heart of it. That's what drives everything. That's what Ruth uh, is about. The message of the book is that uh, if people are good, if they're good to one another, if they honor goodness in one another, then they do get a harvest, and they do get a legacy. Often in their own life, 
always in the future and always in eternity. Goodness pays. It'd be hard and challenging in the moment, but it, but it pays off. Redeemer number one was worried about his legacy, right? So he would not commit to the complicated relationship. Boaz and Ruth do commit to the complicated relationship, and they're the ones that get the legacy. You know, by simply loving the people around them, they change the history of the whole planet. By simply loving the people around them and honoring one another for doing the same thing. Simple, solid goodness. Period. That's it. And there's just really nothing better on earth than that. Simple, solid goodness. So a few observations, and we'll call it good for the book of Ruth. Observation number one, just to say it, you know, this concept of redeemer ends up playing a really important role in the story of God and humankind because uh, Jesus becomes our guardian redeemer, right? It's the same concept, you know, ends up coming from the same word. Jesus is our, is our kinsman redeemer. And the Lord, our redeemer, is more concerned with us. He's more concerned with you uh, than he is concerned with what you might bring him, with the fields that come along with you, right? He doesn't, he doesn't care uh, if you have nothing to offer. He's not in it for what you offer. He's in it for you, just like Boaz uh, was in it for Ruth. Uh, Boaz presents a picture of the proper heart of the Redeemer. Uh, so God doesn't care too much about the fields you bring him, uh, doesn't care too much about, you know, the reputation that you bring him. He just wants you. He's just into relationship with you. Doesn't mean that he's not concerned about fruitfulness in and through your life. It's just that he can work that through your life, provided he has your life. So here's a great picture of how a real redeemer thinks. And of course, Jesus is a real redeemer. And uh, anybody who preaches out of Ruth has to make that point. Uh, so consider it made. Uh, we have a kinsman redeemer who is all that, um, Jesus. Observation number two, there are lots of occasions in life in which people may be more interested in what they can get out of you than they are interested in you. True or false? How many of you have experienced that? People like, wow, you have, you have some gorgeous fields. I want your fields. You, eh, I could do without. You know, ministry would be great. We're not for the people. Love my job. Hate my coworkers. You know, I love, I love that you're in my life uh, because you bring me blessings. Uh, when I don't feel blessed, would you please leave my life? There's a lot of that going on in the world, right? Uh, and, and so we've all experienced it in some fashion. Um, but please do not confuse that with the heart of the Lord. Just because you've experienced that from people. The Lord is not that way, and there are good people who aren't that way. Don't let those traumatic experiences totally color the way that you see relationships. I'm particularly grieved when churches give that impression to people. It's like, you know, what we want is what 
is what comes with you. We don't necessarily want you. And there are some churches, maybe uh, some of us have been burned by these sorts of church experiences, in which it seems like the, the leadership of the church is really interested just in getting butts in the pews or you know, getting, getting uh, tithes from, from the people who come or, or something like that. And, and you don't really get the impression that the community is for the people, you know, that really just into the relationships. Uh, and it's very traumatic when we have church experiences and we feel kind of used instead of committed to. And maybe some of you have had those experiences. Uh, I'm just saying. I think I might have had one or two uh, along the way. Do not confuse that with the heart of the Lord either, even though it happened in the church. Uh, that is not the picture that we see in the scripture, and I don't think that's the, the redemption that, that Jesus uh, offers. Um, at, at Blue Water, we try you know, to be very serious about this. We're not into using people, chewing them up and, and spitting them out. We're not interested in just having butts in the pews. And of course, we're not interested in just getting a money. Uh, no family is perfect, of course. And so, you know, the leaders of Blue Water certainly might make mistakes. And I apologize if we've ever made you feel like an impersonal cog in a system instead of making you feel like part of a family. Uh, but we at least try hard to make relationships a priority in our structure. That's why we're structured the way that we are. That's why we're built around Ohana groups. Uh, that's why we let ministry bubble up from the bottom and don't dictate a program from uh, the top. That's why we're very chill and generous uh, where money uh, is concerned because all those things can, can go a different way. And we just at least try to be aware of it. Um, we try to honor not just what people do around here, but the goodness in what they do, if that makes sense. Succeed or fail. Regardless, you've probably had some of these injurious experiences recently or, or in the past uh, in which you felt used by groups or organizations or friends. None of that is a reflection on the Lord, just to say it. He is blessed by you and he commits to you. Everything else is just details. Observation number three, uh, let me... Let me ask you. Think about this, please, if you would, because I think we have to, having read the book of Ruth. Are you more interested in people or in what they get you? Are you more interested in people or in what they get you? Yeah, it's, just, it's just one of those personal inventory questions that is worth asking. Uh, the way I conceive of it in my own mind, the way I ask myself this question is, Am I more interested in people, or do I see people as A, sources, or B, problems? When a person comes up in my mind, I'm like, well, that person's a problem, or that person's a resource. Or do I think, that person's a person? And come on, let's admit it. Sometimes we play the game, don't we? Somebody pops up in our head, and it's like, ah, problem. But resource. And then you approach the person in that spirit. I'm going to approach you like you're a problem. Or I'm going to approach you like you're a resource. And then you edit your behavior accordingly, don't you? Because you're a human being. And, and we all do that. And one of the disciplines of the kingdom of God, one of the, one of the disciplines of the tradition of the Redeemer, 
is to really just approach a person with honor and goodness and love and then work the rest of it out subsequently. I don't know if that makes intuitive sense to you um, or if it just sort of sounds complicated, but I ask myself that question all the time. Um, do you see people as a resource? Do you see people as a problem? Or do you see people as people? A relationship is a package deal, and if you're a good person, you'll accept all of it. Uh, we probably have relationships in life in which it's tempting to use people instead of committing to people. Good people are always in it for the people. That's one definition of good people. Good people are always in it for the people. They're always in it for the love, in other words. And it is always, always dehumanizing when relationships are about something other than love. There's a truism. You can write that down. It is always dehumanizing whenever a relationship is about something other than love. When they're about, you know, economics. If you have relationships in your life that are primarily economic relationships, um, that's dehumanizing. That squashes goodness. Or when human relationships are primarily about pleasure or fun instead of love, that's dehumanizing. That will squash the goodness right out of things. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I see this all the time, and occasionally it grieves me. You know, one of my pet peeves, one of my pet peeves um, uh, I experience in, in restaurants, I can't stand it when people treat table servers as servants. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's a manner that people adopt when they're being served, and they treat people as servants instead of treating people as humans. That's, that's just a pet peeve uh, of mine. Maybe because I've, I've done table service, but I don't think that's, that's the only reason. Um, I get bothered when, in a, in a crowd, the fun people are popular, but the good people aren't. That's something I notice a lot. You know, it seems like goodness should make a person honored and popular, but, but usually it's fun or, you know, some other sort of, of attractiveness. And personally, I'm consistently challenged in my own relational landscape, which is dense, filled with people. I'm, I'm frequently challenged um, because I rely on many people for many things. And when I'm relying on people for things, it, it's sometimes challenging for me to honor and commit to them as persons instead of seeing them as, as resources. You know, I could do that once, I could do it twice, I could do it three times in a day, but if I have to do it 20 times in a day, it takes a little bit of discipline. And I'm a professional. So are the rest of you folks. It's going to be a discipline as well. So conclusion to the book of Ruth. Let's end with this. Uh, unless you want to sit longer in the humidity. I mean, I'm open. All right, we'll conclude. This book started with Ruth saying to Naomi, for no reason other than goodness and love, Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. That's how it started. It started with Ruth saying to Naomi in a ridiculously challenging situation. She said, I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. I mean, I am in it with you.
That's just a powerful statement of simple goodness. That's the sort of thing that good people say. And the book ends essentially with Boaz saying to Ruth, I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. And that's what good people say to other good people. Um, so, uh, do you have people to whom you've said that? Do you have people in your life to whom you have said, I'm in it with you, and I mean it. I'm totally in it with you. Not because you have to say it, you know, because they're a close blood relative or something. Um, but just because you said it, just because you're good and loving. Uh, do you have people who have said it to you? Who have come to you and said, hey, you know what? You may not even expect this from me, but I'm in it with you. I am totally in this thing with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. The God you worship, I will worship that God with you. You got anybody like that? I think the questions come in a particular order. You know, I think it's best to think of the first question first, you saying it to someone else before you start freaking out about people saying it to you. But they're both really important questions. Um, and if you answer no to either question, if you've never said it to anyone freely, and if you've never had people say it freely to you, uh, then I suggest it's something for you to pray about and to pursue because it's an important foundation in life. Uh, Blue Water Mission, I think, is a great place to seek people with whom to be in it. And I think it's a, a place that's filled with people who are willing to be in it with you. Not everyone, because we are in all sorts of places in terms of maturity, spiritually, relationally, and emotionally. But I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, if you can't do it here, then the place isn't the problem. You know, it's not going to get easier if you go somewhere else. Um, it's not bad. Uh, we're diverse enough and we're messy enough. Um, and, and, we, and we might be humble enough uh, because we've all been wounded and we've all failed. Uh, but of course, of course, growth requires change. Uh, and it's often not easy to be in it with people, but it's always Good. It's always uh, good. God says uh, to each of us, I'm in it with you. That's, that's the picture of the Redeemer. When I'm talking about Jesus redeeming you. I mean, that's basically what it means. Your kinsman Redeemer is coming to you and saying, hey, hey, your life's a mess. <laughs> You're in trouble. You might not get out of this alive. I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. And that's not just words for me. I will become a human. I will come down and I will go through all of it with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. That's Jesus' redemption attitude. He's that kind of a redeemer. God has said to you, I'm in it with you. Now, how do you respond? How do you respond? You know, that's the question. He's being good. And goodness always calls to goodness. What's happening here is God is trying to get the goodness out of you when he says that. 
Uh, and if he does, then that becomes a beautiful story and it creates fruitfulness and legacy and it changes the world. <clears throat> personal challenge. One last personal challenge from the book of Ruth. Here you go. If you can see your way clear to do it, sometime today or in the very near future, I suggest to you that you go to someone and say, I'm in it with you. How does that sound? Let, let, let's just do it as sort of a, a, let's just do a practice run right now. You may not even know the people next to you, so you know, this doesn't count 100%, but turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye and say, hey, I'm in it with you. You can be macho if you need to. Hey, bro, I'm in it with you. You can do that. Now turn the other direction. Say, I'm in it with you. All right, that's just practice, just to get the words out of your mouth. What's that? Where you stay go, I stay go. Yeah, that's acceptable. That's totally acceptable. Whatever. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this picture of simple goodness and just commitment, one good person to another good person. I thank you, Lord, uh, for a picture of redemption. I thank you, Lord, that we have a kinsman redeemer who's in it for us and not the goodies that we bring to him. I thank you, Lord, that you're in it with us, and I pray that you would develop in us the capacity to be in it with other people. No matter the challenge, the foreignness, the threats, uh, we need to be in it with one another. And we know, Lord, that you will insinuate yourself into every good relationship. We want to be fruitful. We want to change the world. And therefore, in Jesus' name, let us be good. And the people say, Amen.